Hi guys, you're listening to the Morning After the Life Before podcast. I'm Jack Schofield. And I'm Sam Corty. And the idea of this podcast is we're going to invite guests on to talk about their unheard stories behind their success and their character. We want to listen to their mischievous childhoods, bumpy educations and stories that don't quite fit the stereotypical model. The idea is we're going to wake up to find out what really happened behind the scenes and stories that never quite made it to social media. This podcast is currently supported and produced by the team at 226 Photography. Hello, we're back. So unfortunately there's no intro with Sam this week because Sam is who I was interviewing. It was really interesting conversation. We talk all about Sam's phobia of needles and how that's affected her and we then go on to talk about mental health and well-being. So yeah, it was really great for Sam to have the confidence to finally talk about such an important topic to her and something that's affected her her whole life pretty much. I hope you enjoy the episode. Here's me chatting to Sam. So Sam, this is a weird one. You're the guest. I am. <laughs> Does that make me a lone wolf on the hosting? You're a lone wolf and now it's your chance to put me under the spotlight. I get a taste of my own medicine, see how our guests feel. So hopefully I will have just introduced the show without it being too weird by myself. So we're here today less to talk about your overall journey and more to talk about quite specific detail about a phobia You've, is that the right word? Phobia, you've, is that how you'd describe it? Yeah, it's it's basically a phobia. Yeah, a phobia is, I mean, there's other elements to it, but I think the general general name you'd give it is a phobia. So we won't beat around the bush. You've got a very severe phobia of needles to the point where even a few months ago, this conversation wouldn't be happening, certainly not in a public forum. And obviously, I know straight away, some people will be like, ah, well, yeah, lots of people are scared of lots of stuff. But when you're regularly drugs tested and need to go to the doctors and various other things as an elite athlete, that phobia of needles suddenly becomes quite a big issue. I don't really know where we start with this one. Do you want to start with the way it affects you and then we'll go back to how it all began? Yeah, so I think I was the same with most people when you hear that people are scared of something. It's a very rational thing to process because there are quite a few people that don't like needles. It's the same people who don't like heights, who don't like spiders. In my mind, just thought of it as that's why I was just scared of needles. I just thought I just had like a really strong dislike to them. The past couple of years, especially as I've got into the team, the drugs testing, as you say, is like a thing that's quite common. And they do urine tests, but they also do blood samples. It was becoming more likely that I was going to have to blood sample at a random point. They can just turn up at my door at home or they could turn up to training or I could get done away at competitions. It was just something that I knew that I had to get it sorted, but I never approached the subject of getting it sorted because the possible consequences of the 
treatment of sorting it the team doctor basically at Caversham was just like this is something we need to get on top of I think the real turning point was one of the World Cups last year it was in the middle of racing so I think it was like the Saturday evening Blood Dopers turned up to the hotel in Rotterdam requested I think it was four people out of the team give a blood sample for the blood passport that's when they don't take it away to be drugs tested they just take it away so they have a sample of your blood that they can add to your blood passport sport and then they monitor it throughout the year so they can basically monitor the level of hemoglobin in it and red blood cells and that's more for testing if you've been blood doping and tracks variation over the year so if, it, if there are any substantial changes they would show up as um, something to look into yeah exactly so it's they requested that Annie who's my pairs partner got asked to go and do hers and I think that was the sudden realisation from me and also the support staff and the doctor was okay this is now real it was like a 50% chance and they picked Annie right we need to get this sorted now it should be said that like the severity of this phobia was that you given consent to your coaches to restrain you <laughs> yeah. at Caversham and you hadn't signed up to the doctor for eight years and like yeah. do you want to just talk through the kind of things that now you're looking back on thinking these are all the things I did to avoid the testing or make it so that testing could happen yeah so I've got a list of things that I only really became aware of these things that I'd done once I started my treatment for it one of the things I used to do was when we turned up at Caversham basically I'd turn up and I'd scan the car park at all the cars and if there were any cars that I didn't recognise I automatically thought that they were the drug testers were there turn up every single day to training in like what well, they've branded like meerkat mode on edge and I did the same thing in hotels when we were away on camp and stuff that if I ever heard anyone in the corridors past like 9, 10 o'clock if I heard footsteps or talking in the corridors was convinced it was the drug testers coming to the room at that side of things those two things it's it feels like I've lived the life a doper with the anxiety of the doping turning up but not because I've taken something illegal because of the process it is to be tested the anxiety that that brings is ridiculous I don't think I ever really acknowledged how bad that was until I actually said it out loud to someone I've hidden from the doctor at training we were supposed to be getting our flu vaccines and our vitamin D testing I would get my breakfast as quickly as possible and then go and sit and hide in the gym until next session so I didn't have to get found by the doctor to go in to have my test done. I would lie about the last time I had vaccines on any important forms. I'd basically Google to see how often you were supposed to have them and then just say I had it within those dates. When I first went to uni, my housemate was diabetic and he needed to inject himself with insulin. And within about half an hour of me meeting him, I'd already arranged with him that he was going to keep his insulin in a separate fridge to where I had my food and he would only inject himself in his room and I'd only met this guy for 30 minutes and I'd already basically controlled what how he was going to deal with his own condition. I've had physio in separate rooms if someone else has been receiving acupuncture because I can't deal with people having acupuncture or looking at it. I'd basically just have an anxiety attack in the physio room. I haven't had my TB jab. I haven't had a lot of injections that I should have had because I just will refuse to have them done. I've not been to visit certain countries because you need to have certain injections and vaccines to go and visit them 
I don't have my ears pierced because I'm terrified of that happening. Like you said, I haven't signed up for a doctor and I left home at 18 and I first signed up for a doctor's at the age of 26. Purely because if I hadn't signed up for a doctor's, then the chances of me getting an injection were reduced because I didn't have a doctor's to go to. My mum has done a 10-hour round trip twice, come with me to get an injection. I know we joke a lot about the fact that I did elite throwing and catching at uni, but a part of that elite throwing and catching, at times we had to take people's like lactate samples yeah well you would have had your own lactate taken through uni yeah so it took me four years of uni to allow someone to prick my ear i somehow and i'm not entirely sure how i managed to do this we got assessed in final year of like one practical element a physiology test i think we did like a vo2 max and someone had to like change the gas masks and stuff sort out the gas bags someone else had to do heart rate and blood pressure someone else had to do blood samples lactate samples and we had to pull the things out of out of the hat to see which ones we got so it was random i pulled out blood sampling and i pretty i forced the person in the group to swap with me because i was because i'd never done it before and i was about to get assessed on it for uni and i was like i've avoided it for four years i've had it done to me but i still haven't done it to anyone else and i managed to pass my degree but no one knows but now they do so let's go back to the beginning of it all well obviously you know more now about how it started but what was your earliest memories of this i don't remember a time when i wasn't terrified of injections any point of when it wasn't an issue for me the reasons why i'm now more aware of where it started was i've basically started last year started with some cognitive behavioral therapy so cbt which is designed to retrain the brain to respond differently and you do that through exposure and my first session of that is i sat down with the therapist and we basically just chatted about where we think it started and all the history and stuff behind it at around the age of three was not i was quite poorly they thought i had meningitis it turned out it wasn't meningitis but i had a lot of blood tests talking with the therapist i was just talking about other things that were happening just in life at that time my sister was born my mum's father passed away all in the space of about two three weeks i think my mum it was like a really stressful time so she had her dad passing away my sister she's a newborn baby and then she had her other child with suspected meningitis so a lot of things that were involved around hospitals like negative sides to things yeah my mum also isn't a huge fan of needles and injections as well i think i've just picked up on the anxiety that, that she has towards it i think at the time i think i remember my mum saying that they struggled to get the blood from me in those blood tests so there was like they had to do it a few times yeah it's all kind of just linked back to this time but because it was in it at an age of around three i don't remember it which means that i don't have a memory of anything really big and traumatic happening also because i don't have that memory of it happening it's a lot harder for them to treat it yeah. because I don't have a specific memory that there's no trigger yeah that they're trying to like reform or get rid of because I don't remember any different they're not 100% sure whether they'll be able to completely 
clear it from me. I think it's going to be something I'm always going to have to live with purely just because of the age at which it happened. There's definitely a lot of things I can do to, to make it better. So what are the sort of things you've been doing at the moment then to, to help with that? So I started cognitive behavioural therapy, which it was through talking and through exposure. We tried hypnotherapy because it's a lot less invasive. I went and spent a ridiculous amount of money on these two hypnotherapy sessions. I didn't really look into hypnotherapy before I went and had it done because I didn't want to go there with me already basically have prejudging what was going to happen. Making preconceptions. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't believe in this sort of stuff anyway. I kind of wanted to know as little as possible. So I went in with a clear enough mind. So if, what made you go, what made you choose hypnotherapy then? The doctor told me to go, basically. I think because we kind of, it was probably another like mechanism for me to not avoid needles, to be honest. Like there was zero chance of me actually getting a needle. And that's actually the first thing I said to the hypnotherapist when I walked in the room. Do you have any needles in here? So I think that's possibly why I also opted for that treatment first was because it was like not anything where I was I felt threatened by it so that was really bizarre the hypnotherapy I mean I still don't really know what sort what kind of happened in it first part of it classic lying on the bed sort of sofa thing that they have with weird music playing and this really bad incensey smell got me to count back from like 300 and I was like so stubborn that I was going to make it to zero and I think I made it to like 230 something and then kind of like dozed off I honestly don't remember anything else of that whole section of what he the treatment until he was like three two one open your eyes and my eyes opened as soon as he said open your eyes maybe something happened or maybe I was just asleep but he had control over me I honestly don't know it was bizarre and I think I was under that sort of like not aware of what was going on for about 40 minutes which it didn't feel like that long mm. I only know that just remember what the clock said so I don't know what he said I don't know what happened which is kind of scary but also probably just don't really think about it so and then the second part of it got me to close my eyes and I had to walk down some stairs in my, my mind's eye and open this door and go and stand into this room and then he was like you're stood there and all of your like feelings and emotions are like traveling around you he was like you can read what some of them say but in the far corner you can see someone he's like I want you to walk over to them right it was like a little there's like a baby but it was like at the age where sitting up on their own still in a nappy not a newborn maybe like one or two years old that sort of age to like around two they were basically like pick them up or cuddle hug them and tell them that everything's going to be okay because they're scared and he was like and this person is you but he never told me what they look like or what age they were or anything he all he said was there's someone else in the room and it's you I want you to go and comfort them tell them that everything's going to be okay because you can tell that they're scared and for me this person was around two and I picked them up and was like telling them that everything was going to be okay and then he was like right now I want you to put them back down and leave the room and it was really really hard even though it was like all in my mind to put this child down because they were right. so scared. Finally, I did it and then walked out of the room and like woke up and came out of like trance, maybe. I don't know, trance. whatever yeah. that he had me. And it was really interesting. And he was like, oh, just out of interest, what was the person like that you saw? That was when I was like, oh, it was like a 
toddler or something in like nappy's about two years old and he was like well maybe that's actually when it started for you that was like the first indication of like i maybe had an idea of where it started so then after that i tried to then have some other injection that i needed it didn't work basically kicked up a fuss i did the classic crying screaming lashing out trying to fight people i actually think the nurses need to be changed on that one because they were too scared to do it to give me the blood test or whatever I was getting. <laughs> and it's got a lot worse since I've got older. Like, it's fine when you kick out and you're, like, four years old. But when you're, like, 24 years old <laughs> and you kick out and I'm, I'm not the smallest person either. Damage is being done. Damage is being done, yeah. Probably the worst occasion was when the porter... So I obviously saw the whole incident go on. And the porter then asked me what school I was at. And I had to tell him that I, would, I had graduated, like, three years ago and I was 25 years old. Just to give people an idea of the response I have, it's that of a child that I've just not been able to get rid of. And I know it's ridiculous and it's really embarrassing. And afterwards, all I do is apologise to everyone, but I cannot help it. Can't stop myself from doing it. What are you feeling in those moments? Pure fear. Pure fear that, that I just, whatever I do... It doesn't matter as long as that needle does not touch me. I've had cannulas and stuff in the past. Once it's in and it's there, it's fine. It's just that process of getting that thing in my arm. Yeah. Pure fear that it's going to... Essentially, my brain just says it's going to kill me. The whole anxiety of it starts way beforehand. Pretty much as soon as I find out find out I need, I'm getting it done. The worst bit was at Caversham. On the door of the women's changing rooms, they put up a like just a printed sheet of paper to say oh vitamin d tests will be happening next thursday so i have that week of like anxiety the build up to getting the injection even though the recent years i've not actually had it done because they've decided it's way too much of a fact so do you think it's negatively impacted your training yeah there was a time i did trials we were due to have vitamin d tests they basically said that i wasn't going to have mine done with the team but i was going to get it done at the hospital and they had it booked in so i knew the date that it was happening and it was happening the week after trials but I knew two weeks in the lead up to trials so I basically had a three-week period of from when I found out I was getting the injection to when the injection date was due yeah trials fell in that I didn't sleep maybe like three hours a night night time is when I do my stressing and my that's when it comes out as the anxiety so like day to day I would I was all right but as soon as it came to trying to go to sleep my brain was just on absolute overdrive just thinking about this injection dreams of where i'm like human-sized injections are trying to get me it's ridiculous talking about it now as sounds ridiculous but I, at the time and even now i know that there's nothing i can do about it trials went really badly i just didn't put it all together i think because i'd lived with it for so long i just had become immune to the impact that it was having on me and so couldn't work out why trials went so badly and then started worrying that something else was wrong with me because trials went badly since we've sat down and talked about it like no wonder it went bad now when i talk about it like that and look back now i can see it as a mental health thing it is anxiety it's extreme anxiety it is a phobia and people throw that word around like a lot i was not lucky but i think because needles aren't a particularly nice thing to have it's quite easy to get your head around of why you would be scared of it spiders heights i think this is a thing it was something that's common so people have heard it before and are like oh yeah she doesn't like needles and that's how i looked at it but now i look at it and go god it, it's not 
not just I don't like needles. Like I've developed this massive mental health issue having needles. And it was like, it wasn't just needles in the end. It's like when I started my cognitive behavioral therapy the in the first session, we sat down and we she got me to order to rank things that caused the anxiety. So a blood test was at the top. That was like the most the thing that caused the most anxiety and yeah. I was like oh well blood tests injections I guess I haven't had my ears pierced so I could only think of like three things and then she was like well what about different colours and I was like different colours and she was like well <laughs> what about like I don't know what if you walked into a white room and I was like oh I don't really like white rooms because they're like reminds me of a like clinical and she was like right well there's something yeah and in the end this list is like I don't like certain smells like I really don't like the smell of bleach and things that are like cleaning products because it reminds me of yeah hospitals I don't like when you, you go into a house and someone's got this nice brand spanking new white gleaming kitchen I just don't like it because it, it's too clinical corridors in places don't like corridors it just reminds me of rooms coming off corridors which are like hospitals had this long list of things so it wasn't just needles I it was all to do with things that were medical yeah that's just where you noticed it the most right because that has driven the majority of the anxiety and the rest you can just put down to I don't like that leave yeah whereas when a needle is coming towards you it's not like cool I'm now leaving like if you get according to blood doping it's not like don't like the look of this see you later and I guess that's what I'm thinking of so if I'd suddenly turn around and said oh I get really high anxiety when I walk into a white room. That's not common. That's not normal. And this needs to be addressed. Yes, it's very easy for me to avoid these things. This shouldn't be the case. Yeah. We sat down the first session, basically got, she's like, what about thinking about needles? And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I can like think about them. And she's like, okay. And she basically talked me through it. I absolutely broke down. I could not do it. Like I couldn't think of it. I couldn't imagine it crying my eyes out in this session with her I was like <laughs> gripping onto the chair trying fidgeting so badly like hyperventilating crying I'd basically just started having a, one of the episodes that I would have if I was having an injection. And that's the first time it had ever happened without there being a needle present. The idea is that you have this episode and the way that they use the treatment is that you sit with that thought in your head until the anxiety drops. And it doesn't matter how long it takes you keep sitting there and you keep forcing yourself to think of it until your brain starts to process that it's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah. And I think I cried for over 10 minutes this episode ended as soon as I finished and they calmed down and the anxiety stopped I was just like back to apologizing again like she's like you don't apologize she's like if you can't cry here where can you cry it was suddenly a realization of actually how bad it was like it in my head in the past it just been the that needle that was the issue but when she sat there and made me think about it I was just then just really concerned that I was never going to be fixed well then now you've come almost full circle haven't you right so you not full circle it's not completely gone away but you are now getting better around needles yeah and the thought of them yeah yeah so I did this thing about thinking about them and you keep repeating it until you I can sit there quite happily thinking about them and I have zero response once you then get that on thinking the next stage was we brought out photographs I think I've got like four or five pictures of different parts of the needle again I just had to sit there and look at this picture and different pictures had different responses so there was like a picture of cotton wool or something which had like nothing like didn't didn't give me any response at all and then there was a picture of part of 
to like the syringe part of the needle but without the needle yeah i was all right with it but i wasn't awful part of just the needle bit and that was okay but as soon as we put the two together and it looked like a syringe with the needle in that then started off again basically got to the point in my sessions that i could sit in the room with like a fake blunt needle just resting on my arm i honestly if anyone had like told me that i would have like never believed them i just wouldn't have thought it was possible at all unfortunately then covid hit so i was no longer allowed to go to my sessions carried it on have two two fake two of the fake needles with me in my bedroom occasionally like once or twice a week i get them out even just like holding them and playing with them for me it's really helped having like a knowledge of how they work and stuff has really helped i know what they do and i know how it works being able to touch them and play with them has almost taken a bit of the fear out of them i'm also extremely lucky that my physio at in the team is super supportive is like 100% behind trying to help me because she's obviously been through it and she will be there when I do get my drugs test and she's really good at like when we're away on camp of like being like right come on it's time to do a session and we sit there and we talk about it there was one point before before we went on lockdown where we were talking about getting acupuncture and acupuncture had like never been on the cards for me because I couldn't even be in the room when someone else was having it. Like that was causing me to have anxiety attacks. And the physios have always said that, oh, you would you would respond really well to it. Like this, oh, I'd love to put it here and here, but we've never done it purely because it wouldn't be helpful because they would have to restrain me. And that goes against all forms of trying to help me. Last week, I had a bit of a niggle in my back. It was so, I was out on my bike on a bike ride. And I don't really know why I was thinking about it, but it suddenly just came into my head. of like, I wonder if acupuncture would help me right now. I like thought to myself and I was like, if I was to go into physio and they were to suggest acupuncture this time, how would I react to it? And I was like, really, calm about it once it was in i was like i know i'll be fine they're tiny needles and it was just like for the first time could process it and normally like a super logical thinker and for the first time my brain was working how it normally does about something that it usually can't cope with got onto the idea that i would be able to to deal with it the next day i went into the physio room and was just like, would acupuncture help right now? She was like, yes. And she didn't like, she didn't question it or she didn't make a fuss about it. Would you like to try it? And I was like, yeah, I like, I think I'm ready to try it. She was just like, how do you want to do it? Do you want me to talk through, to talk through the process? Or do you just want to lie down and continue chatting about whatever we were chatting about? Yeah. And I was like, going to lie down and I'm just going to keep on talking to you. Honestly, I couldn't believe how smoothly it went but i was like completely in control and it was on my terms which i think made a difference it wasn't being forced upon me i'd already thought about it the day before clearly managed to have five needles in my back without any tears or any anxiety attack i do have a really bad habit i'm actually busy doing it now which is why i know i'm not fully recovered 
I'm picking away at my hands, which is the way I fidget when I'm talking about something I don't like to talk about. But this is significantly better than me crying or lashing out at anyone. So I did pick my fingers a bit, basically just to distract myself. But once they were in, I was fine. A massive turning point. I'm 27. For the first time in 27 years, didn't have a meltdown. It sounds ridiculous because it's only acupuncture. But it honestly feels like one of the biggest achievements I think I've ever had. For sure. I mean, I'm nowhere near fixed. What do you think is next then? Where do you think you're, do you think you're now at a stage where you would consider having an actual, I say an actual needle, acupuncture is an actual needle, but a more stereotypical needle that you have the fear of? Yeah. So I, the next day I actually went and spoke to the doctor because she was like, like she sent a message to be like, this is like great. Like this is such a step forward. And that's what I need is a lot of people to telling me that it's positive because the whole thing has to be one positive experience because it's only ever been negative she was like so what do you think what do you want to try next I was like well I think the next stage is some form of like vaccine or something I don't want to rush straight now to the blood test because that is the top of my hierarchy of things that will set me off yeah but I've done acupuncture I think I would do have more acupuncture we've started talking about getting the flu vaccine i think it's early october so it's not long but starting to think about that and how she's like it can be on your terms that you can pick if you could turn up one day and you're ready to have it done she's like you just walk in and we'll give it to you i would be able to deal with the situation a lot better than what i would have done say a year ago where i wouldn't be able to have the drugs test and therefore it would go down as a as a mistest or in a black mark because that's my fear is that i am so bad that they can't actually do the drugs test on me it's not because i've taken something because the chances of me being able to take something are very slim because i don't like injections so if you're someone listening to this at the start of the journey obviously like maybe you two years ago what would you say to them as advice moving forward how would you go about it uh, what sort of things should they be looking to do i think this is like pretty cliche answer now with mental health is that like you need to tell someone you need to talk to people i think you i can completely i mean i didn't talk to anyone about it for 20 something years like people knew i didn't like injections but even i didn't know and no one else around me quite knew how bad it was until I told someone and then I could start getting it sorted genuinely believed I could live the rest of go through the rest of my life without ever needing another needle or injection completely processed life that I wouldn't need to have one it's very clear that you needed to because well for obvious reasons you can't fail drugs test let's say you had a fear of something that you could potentially evade for the next however many years would you still recommend addressing it you know because based on all the subconscious things you were hiding from that you weren't aware of. Yeah, yeah. I strongly believe there are so many underlying things that you don't even know you have, that you don't even, you aren't even aware that you're doing. Now I've been able to address so many more things. It is a huge weight lifted off me. I mean, even people say to me at times, like, was it not tiring? Like, was it not exhausting being like that? And it was. Being on edge and being in like meerkat mode is exhausting. And it's energy that you can spend on so many other things, so many more positive things that would actually fulfill your life. A lot of them didn't even know you were wasting energy on that. It is just a case of like just telling someone and I completely, you have to tell the right person. For me, even now, I really struggle to talk to my mum about it because I don't blame her at all for having, and she apologises all the time to me for it. 
And I don't blame her at all. God, this is the bit I'm going to cry at. I don't blame her at all for it. I now know that talking to her about it is hard. She still has those anxieties about it. Yeah. And so the other day when I got the acupuncture, I didn't want to ring her up and tell her because I didn't want to hear the anxiety in her voice. I tell other people and their responses that's fantastic like you've come so far that's amazing they don't have that issue with the needles yeah. but because my mum does the f as soon as I tell her the first image that comes into her head is me lying there with acupuncture needles in and her response is exactly what my response would have been a few months ago yeah asking negative questions which is making you think which then for me brings back the anxiety yeah it's really hard and like it's the last thing you want to... I probably have made it worse because my mum, she was the person I wanted there whenever I had a needle, whenever I needed an injection. And I was always bringing with me the problem. But it's your mum. Like, your mum's never the issue. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's the person that's looked after you for X amount of years and always the person that's going to tell you that everything's going to be all right. We didn't know any different. This is why this bit gets hard is because... She now feels really guilty. It's not, it's not, I don't blame her at all for it. Yeah, she's great. There was obviously no malice there. Like your mum hasn't intentionally given you a phobia of needles. You know, she can't control what she's feeling. Yeah. So yeah, of course you can't. You would never blame her because there's nothing she's intentionally done or ever would do. She would only ever offer you the, the maximum level of support that she, yeah. she can possibly give, you know. Yeah. She wouldn't offer anything less, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think that's the bit. In the end, I ended up texting her. <laughs> it was like <laughs> the fact that I'd had it done because that way I then couldn't have, I couldn't hear the anxiety. Yeah, but you obviously wanted to tell her, right, you know? I've still spoken to her on the phone about it since and I don't know if I would tell her again. Unless your mum got to the stage you're at now. Yeah, I think, yeah, to be honest, I think my mum needs to also go through this and I think she knows that. <laughs> but I think she's reached the age now where... So you've obviously said, you said you need to talk to the right person, although what I think you mean is you don't don't talk to the wrong person but what does that look like you know are you saying don't talk to someone else with the similar anxieties because they'll reiterate that fear of like well why do you want to come to terms with needles because they can't rationalize it themselves or is there a specific person that, or some specific traits you would be looking for in someone to turn to i think it has to be someone that would listen to absolutely everything you were saying but also read between the lines when i've spoken to people about my needle phobia i've never given them the de i've given very few people the detail of how bad it is so i suppose what you're saying is be honest when you tell someone how severe it is yeah they have to either work be capable of working that out themselves or you have to say this is how bad my phobia is can you yeah in some small way help me address that yeah and you have to have like a hundred percent trust in that person of course and they have to take you at you know face value and trust that everything the phobia you're telling them is as serious yeah as it is you know you don't want to tell someone that you believe will think you sound silly yeah for me it was someone that was in the medical profession it was the physios and it was the doctor at Caversham and for, for them they could tell because I was sitting there while people were talking to me like pinching my own hands and like they could pick up on the signs once I then spoke to and they just got it because they'd seen it before and even a professional because you know that they would that you've got their trust because it's their job 
Yeah. Also, they don't know you, so you don't feel like they're judging you. For me, that was my thing was I don't think I ever went into the details of how bad it was because I didn't want people to judge who I was. Because day to day, I'm like very level-headed. I don't really show that many emotions. But if anyone had seen me around a needle, wouldn't have believed it was me because it was like the polar opposite to what I've ever been before. I like screaming, kicking. I honestly was like toddler having a tantrum and it's nothing that you would ever see before. So if I think if I try to say that to someone, they would just be like, no, it can't be that bad. Like Sam never reacts like that to things. But when I was telling a professional that didn't know me and there was no judgment, they got it. Like they could then be like, right, this is actually pretty bad. When I was had the therapy, I also got tested for PTSD, came out with quite a high level of PTSD. When you say that, people respect that a bit more. Yeah, I suppose it's just that's part of the issue with mental health problems as a whole, right? You know, it's so easy for someone that can't relate to just brush it off. Yeah. You know, oh, what do you mean you're feeling low or you don't want to talk to people? You always want to talk to people. Or what do you mean you have this or that? Because you're never like that. And it's like, well, generally you find when people have these kind of underlying mental health issues, they're not on the surface. That's the whole point that like you can't yeah. see them and you hide them away. You know, and there's so many things that you will never see. And that's the problem is that people need to now be taken more seriously with these issues. And not brushed off just because the version of them you know isn't quite like that and that's because that's the version of them they want you to know however if they're at the stage where they can talk to you or feel like they can talk to you about it you can't brush that off you know it takes people years and years and years to open up about these kind of problems and if you brush it off at the first instance of like and I think you're exaggerating you're fine that can be it game over for that person you know they might never open up about it again and therefore live with some of these issues for the rest of their life yeah, well, that's why I wanted to do this on the podcast, because I felt like we were getting people on that were being very open and very honest about things that they'd been through. This was something that has never been on social media for me, ever. Yeah. I guess I was hiding it, but I guess it was because... Not consciously. I physically found it so hard to talk about because I was just blocking it off to myself, never mind the rest of the world. And also, it's just that another classic sign of weakness, you know, like everyone associates it with like, ah, oh, if you tell everyone you're struggling, you're weaker and therefore you're going to race slower. Yeah. And like, when you actually pitch it like, it sounds so ridiculous you know like some of the world's most phenomenal people struggle with mental health issues whether that's in sport or business like there is no correlation there between how much you struggle with your mental health and how hard you can push in a race like fine if you're having a really difficult time that is going to impact it but it's that's like yeah you feel like you're showing a sign of weakness which isn't isn't the case at all and it's good to see that the attitude towards that is slowly starting to shift that like yeah it's okay to not be okay like it doesn't reflect on you as a person, doesn't reflect on your ability to do things or perform or anything like it. Fine, in some cases, it will affect that at times. But when you need to step up to the plate, your mental health can be completely under control and have no bearing. And um, so it's OK to try and talk about that and break that down yeah. without people needing to judge you for yeah. that. And I think also from the personal side is for me, sorting this out and getting this sorted will only make me quicker. I'm not going to be wasting energy on flipping checking cars when I 
go places to see if I recognise every number plate, waiting up to hear footsteps in a corridor to see if it's the drug testers coming, worrying weeks in advance about a test and getting three hours sleep. Actually having this and addressing it and fixing it will only benefit me. And but it is t- yeah. but it has taken me twenty seven years to get to this point. I completely understand people who don't want to who sh- who find it hard to talk about in your own time when you're ready to do it honestly it's been the best thing that i've that i've done yeah there's loads of different ways to do that right you know you don't necessarily have to directly tell someone you know you can write it down you can send a text like you did with your mum you can send a a letter it can be anonymous to begin with you can write it in your diary to yourself you know you can say it out loud just to yourself so that you've yeah just saying those words out loud to yourself and voicing that can have a huge impact so like you don't necessarily have to go straight in with i'm gonna go and tell someone else right now face to face you know you can build up to those steps yeah and obviously it doesn't necessarily have to be someone you know yeah in your case you obviously got professional there are plenty of people that you can talk to anonymously for just to voice those concerns and ask for some guidance yeah and there's so many charities out there there's like like it's becoming a much bigger positive thing like there's the stigma is definitely starting to break down that's why i now feel as though i can talk about it and I now don't feel like a fraud on my old pod on my own podcast, sitting here listening to everyone else talk about things that they haven't spoken about, and I'm sat here. <laughs> quite a large story now I've said and and like yeah I mean people can even just message me about it I'm now at a point where I can talk about it honestly been through like the biggest lows with it I wouldn't wouldn't be against anyone trying to reach out and get I know how how it is yeah and that's why we started the podcast right we want to bring to the surface the real underlying issues like this to start to create those conversations so people can see the struggles people the people they assume have it easy or going through right so that they in themselves can then feel comfortable and confident enough to initiate that conversation yeah yeah that's exactly why we've done it we just it doesn't matter how many people listen but if one person can take something away from it then yeah then we've won yeah we've done what we set out to do exactly it was worth all of the time yeah sure well i think on that note probably a good time to to wrap that one up so as the host i should thank you for coming on the podcast and telling us your story you've been a great guest sam thank you thanks you've been a very good host <laughs> and i didn't cry yeah it's a success i did get very close but i didn't actually cry and my hands aren't in that big of a mess to be honest i've picked a couple of my blisters but that's good hopefully we'll um get and get another exciting i'm sure the guest won't the next guest won't be as exciting as you are <laughs> but hopefully we'll get another shiny exciting guest soon more real life well enjoy and i will chat to you soon bye So I found that chat with Sam, as always, super insightful. I think there are a few takeaways for me. Obviously, this is strange not bouncing off Sam, so we'd love to know what your guys' takeaway were. But one of the main ones for me is not to play down any issues you have and really 
don't be scared to open up to people talk about it and really address the things you're going through rather than just sweeping them under the carpet because some of these things are really quite severe and have a huge impact on uh, the wider things going on in life even something that you think is as small as a phobia and sam obviously as you heard decided oh well everyone's scared of something maybe maybe i'll just crack on with it i'll be all right and then it's only looking back that she can realize the impact that's had if you think it's serious and start to reach out and uh, look for help in the people around you and obviously huge thanks to sam for talking about that on the podcast i know it's quite a difficult subject for her to openly talk about a couple of exciting guests lined up in the next couple of weeks i'm away in scotland for two weeks and then we'll be back with two exciting guests so yeah stay tuned for that leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback yeah we'll catch you soon